So I had just shown up to this party. This was years ago, pre-COVID-19. I was honestly just looking for the least crowded area so that I can take a seat, be as present and absent as possible. So I enter this house and I unintentionally find myself in a room surrounded by women talking about dieting. And I remember thinking... This cannot be the only thing we have to talk about at a party. Now, I was in this room surrounded by beautiful women, myself included, even though I was the biggest one there. It was just kind of like at a social gathering, a time to celebrate in the South. And I'm Black. The people there were Black. We're, we're at this party and we are talking about all of the foods that we are not going to eat. How did this become the topic that is at the top of our list at a party? This is how pervasive diet culture is. It takes over everywhere women find themselves. Now, just for the sake of today's episode, I'm going to outline diet culture. In a guest blog post for Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals, Sarah Upson, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified eating disorder specialist, explains diet culture like this. Diet culture is a belief system that focuses on and values weight, shape, and size over well-being. Variations of diet culture also include rigid eating patterns that on the surface are in the name of health, but in reality are about weight, shape, and or size. She goes on to explain that Diet culture is really tricky because professionals, particularly professionals in the medical field, they know science, like they know that dieting doesn't work. So it was rebranded and now we have this diet culture that has been transformed into health messages. And the definition of health now would be synonymous with weight. That when you lose weight, by any means necessary, you will be healthier by restricting your eating and eliminating food groups. You will be better and be happier. But this isn't reality and we know that. So fast forward from that party to now, on the phone, talking with my friends, and still dieting tends to come up way more often than it should between women who are having conversations about life and love and goals. And and it is always there, always at the forefront And it just made me think, like, 
why? Why is this topic still overtaking our conversations? We know it's society, but society, we are society, you know? So we have to be the ones that change it because by not changing it, by not looking at dieting and diet culture differently, we become um, perpetuators. And here we are on the phone talking about how we feel so guilty because we didn't get in our two exercise sessions or we didn't meal prep so we ended up eating the wrong thing or we just grabbed something on the fly and then that guilt from eating the wrong thing turns into a chain reaction of stress and in response to that stress you eat the wrong thing again and we end up in this cycle that becomes an unhealthy lifestyle of yo-yo dieting which is detrimental to your health. We know this. Yet, and even though it may not be the trendiest thing for me to say, I am on a diet again. Failing fast. Just being honest here. Especially during this body positivity era. Child. If you have been following my blog, and if you haven't, I'm going to let you know about it now. This past Wednesday, I talked about how because I haven't mastered my weight loss yet, I tend to want to master every other facet of my life. And by not having my life all the way together, I always feel overly stressed or just Um, I guess kind of like a mess because it seems as if if I get everything else together that's the least that can be done to make me feel better about the other situation that I have not mastered yet because for whatever reason this is at the top of the list and After writing that, after just going through those thought processes, a thought occurred to me and it was, why is weight loss at the top of your list? Why is it the epitome of success for you? Why is that? Well, I have a few reasons and when we come back after the break, I will share them with you on this episode of Being Better with Dorcas Dorsell. Hi, podcasters and podcast listeners. Have you visited the Being Better with Dorcas Dorsell website yet? On top of being able to read and interact with the weekly blog, being better blogging the process if you're an artist you can sign up to join the being better network where other artists i enjoy and respect share their unique talents with the world so go ahead visit www.beingbetterpodcast.com that's www.beingbetterpodcast.com now back to the show
back. Thank you for joining me. Um, We're going to talk about being better with contentment. Now, contentment is one of those virtues that I have always struggled with because I'm a person who gets trapped in her head. I tend to think, then overthink, then rethink what I overthought. And that habit does not bode well with someone like me. A realist, sometimes pessimist, because it creates so much more stress and anxiety. And even though I am fully aware of this habit, I have yet to master it either. Which brings me back to why mastering weight loss is at the top of the list. Before the break, I was talking about how diet culture has taken over um, our lives, basically, especially women. So here I am. And I, I, you know, I find myself wanting to say, I'm done with this, never going to do it again. But it's just not true. Because at the top of my list, there's always this idea that I have to take care of my weight, have to deal with it. Now, dieting or quote unquote, living a healthy lifestyle has often equal to being a disciplined person. I had a conversation with an uncle and I was explaining how I would have loved to go into the medical profession, but I didn't think that you could be a doctor and be fat. You know, I had never seen that before. And I remember vividly saying I had never seen that. I knew you could be a woman and be a doctor. I knew you could be a black woman and be a doctor. I went to a black woman as a child. Um, But I had never seen a fat doctor. And I get that it's supposed to be because, you know, you, you wouldn't want to see that because doctors are supposed to be the epitome of health. They are supposed to be examples. Um, please, you know, can't be hypocritical. Like, just can't do that. And I remember my uncle's response to my heartfelt confession was, I can see that because it takes a lot of discipline to become a doctor and just to be in medicine in general. At the time of this discussion, I was in my early 20s. I was maybe 21. We were discussing my dream job and why and how teaching was really plan B. And I remember in response to his remarks, nodding my head and having this real crazy smile on my face because I clearly had thought the same way about weight and discipline. But hearing it back at me, I was kind of like, oh, well, I guess the stereotype is true. And I, it didn't dawn on me that he would say that. I was looking for him to say, oh, no, you could have definitely done that. You're smart enough to do that. You're capable of doing. No, absolutely not. That was that. No, mm-mm. It wasn't until I watched a documentary about a group of doctors going through their first year of residency that I would get 
to see a fat doctor. On the screen, I'm looking at this person who's overweight. Granted, the person was a white male, but still, he was overweight. And he was good at his job. And he was all I needed to see. As a woman of color, I understand the importance of representation, but there has to be representation of everyone because people need to see the limitless possibilities. You hear this and we hear this in society all the time and people really don't understand how important it is to actually, especially for people growing up, children and uh, marginalized groups of people, to see that, hey, you can do that. That is not off limits to you. There are so many more barriers that need to be broken down. And here we are in the 21st century and we are still talking about fat discrimination. I remember looking at this documentary and saying, wow, had I seen him when I was a child, my imaginings of a doctor would have been completely different. But what society did show me when I was a kid was how it was going to label people who were who were of size. I saw uh, overweight people being stigmatized and labeled as mentally ill. They had to have been lazy. They had a lower IQ because clearly you can't be intelligent and fed. Like who is smart and fed at the same time? Like you can't be. That's just you know that's not possible. And Although we know that those things are not the case today, the stigma and discrimination is still present. So, reason number one why weight loss is at the top of my list and has been at the top of my list for so long is because I am an African-American woman who would just like to eliminate a type of discrimination. And I know that that is not a problem that I can fix simply by losing weight, okay? It's not even a problem that is a mind to fix because the real issue in this is that people, some people are just simply awful and some people are just simply awful to other people. Now that is the actual issue, but for whatever reason I have taken on this as my responsibility to address if I am smaller this particular discrimination I would not have to deal with and that would create uh, a different way of living or a different experience in this life for me I mean I will still be black so there's that, but I would be a curvy black woman, not a super morbidly obese black woman. Who makes up these labels, by the way? Are you serious right now? Super morbidly obese. Someone sat in an office or a lab and said, oh yeah, this is an appropriate label for a human being. 
Hold on. I would be this person. I wouldn't no longer be this person of size who immediately lost respect from others just because. I have mentioned how I adore Shonda Rhimes in Shondaland. And I remember listening to her talk about her weight loss. And when she lost weight, she mentions her experience with people, people that she had known, people that she had worked with, how they treated her differently after she lost the weight. And it changed her perception of that person because for whatever reason, a lot of times we are not aware of our prejudices. We're not aware of uh, how we tend to unintentionally, a lot of the times it's unintentionally uh, done, we tend to treat people differently because of these things, these issues that we as a society have labeled as issues, being fat as one of them, right? So the very idea that someone that she knew well changed the way they behave and interacted with her, this wonderful woman who is intelligent and has created so many platforms for people, has opened doors and has um, clearly proven herself to be valuable, she still is dealing with fat discrimination, right? And the idea, because I know a lot of people be like, well, we don't care about what people think and this and other, but the truth of the matter is, a lot of the times it's not so much as about caring about what a person does as much as it is about the individual trying to create a safer space for themselves. I would like to not have to deal with this particular discrimination. So it's at the top of the list. It's ridiculous. I know. But it is. It is what it is. I'm just being honest. Weight loss being at the top of the list, reason number two is strictly for creative purposes. I know that dancers come in all shapes and sizes. I was a plus size dancer. I also am not promoting or highlighting one dance style over another, but for me, I was always kind of like a modern, contemporary, lyrical type of girl that was just my jam all right and if i were to stay in education i would like to be able to teach dance and theater professionally like that would be an end goal for me a happy place for me and one of the reasons why i walked away from dancing was because the choreography that i saw in my mind i could not manifest physically on my own with my own body, limbs, legs, and arms. I couldn't do it myself. And that created a lot of stress for me and a sense of failure. You know, (laughs) I would substitute movement and reconstruct counts because I physically just could not execute the moves that were in my head 
so a lot of people may not understand what I'm saying, but imagine hearing a song for the first time on your phone and loving it. Then you plug your phone into a sound system and realize you've been missing an entire baseline that completely changes your experience with that song. All of a sudden, a song that you loved turns your world inside out. It's that much more amazing. You connect to it differently. It's, you know, it's like hearing a beat drop for the first time. And that moment, like, it causes you to put that song on repeat and you can even hear it in your sleep. Like, that for me is how you know you've connected with the creative art. Like, with substituting movements, adjusting choreography felt like going back to the moment before discovering that baseline, before that beat dropped. It was gut-wrenching, okay? I would put movement onto another body and watch them bring my art to life. Sometimes well, sometimes not. And it was also gut-wrenching because I knew exactly what I wanted the piece to look and feel like what it should have looked and feel like I wanted to experience it on my own and you know now I know that and I understand that the the frustration of not being able to quickly and easily articulate a move or translate a concept into movement is just a part of the art of dance and choreography. And you'll hear the most well-trained dancers, choreographers attest to this feeling. Martha Graham said, who, who's Martha Graham is a pioneer of modern dance. She talked about how an artist is never satisfied, right? And I, at the time, felt my dissatisfaction was simply rooted in my size and not my artistry so I just quit I was sick anyway I'm like actually physically sick I just walked away without fully understanding how deeply I would suffer from that decision there is a spiritual connection a dancer has when they are dancing It's a language and it's not always easily translated. And a lot of people don't readily understand it. You know, the power of dance is enormous and magnetic. And I miss it all the time. You know, I I have not performed in front of an audience in years. Um, and I haven't even taught dance in years. It's been about seven, eight years. But I still find myself choreographing entire concerts in my head and creating playlists just in case 
the opportunity one day arises for me to be able to facilitate bodies moving in and out of unison again like you know one day that's going to happen I believe it will one day it's going to happen and of course I still dance in my room when I need to release energy um I get that my size doesn't diminish the talent I understand that it is as much a part of me as the breath I breathe, but I want to be able to do it responsibly. And that means, you know, losing weight, not all of it, just, you know, maybe a little chunk of it. Remember, I was a plus size dancer. So in the, it's not like I don't know what it feels like to be big and dance. I just want to I get, like I said, I want to be able to manifest what I see. Um, and I also want to be able to trust that the pain that will come from dancing will be a mixture of the pain from my illness and just an aching dancing body and just trusting that it will work itself out. You know, dancing and being a dancer is is just as authentic to me is as authentic to me as being the fat cousin and chat because i mean i've been fat forever i i can't tell you i don't know any other life but i i don't think that that is a reason to not address it you know it's not a reason like oh i'm fat i'll die fat i'll live fat and i'll die fat i don't i don't think at least for me I don't want that to just be my a part of my story because more than anything, I guess, I would like to accomplish the creative goal. You know, losing weight has very little to do with vanity um, and just a lot to do with me wanting to experience life differently, like I said, but it's still at the top of the list, right? And it shouldn't be. But here's the being better part. Here's the contentment part. I've said it before. There are many schools of thought about accepting yourself and being better for yourself. But very few explain that along the journey to being better, you have to discover contentment. It's key. Um, being content with yourself, your life, including your physical self, in any and every state you happen to find yourself creates the space for you to grow and move forward. You know, sometimes we need contentment, I mean, all the time, actually, we need contentment if we want to be at peace and if we want peace in our lives. I can appreciate that I am a beautiful woman. I'm a beautiful person. I get that. But for the longest time, I'd always struggle with the appreciating being a beautiful woman who happens to be fat. That particular descriptor. Now, before I go there, it is only the word fat that I struggle with because that seems so much more judgmental. But... 
using terms like obese or morbidly obese or those particular terms I use freely because they come from I guess it because they are scientific terms. Like it's what is on your health insurance. It's what is on your your records. If you're looking at your records, they don't have fat. They have obese. And it's just because that's how I am described and labeled that is easier for me to say. That just seems to be like, oh girl, you just got a little weight on you. Mm-hmm. But it also is, you got, you got some weight on you. The other terms, there's no judgment connected to them. They are just scientific terms, right? And so I don't have as much of an issue with them. That particular word, it's just that particular word, that particular descriptor. Um, and... It has created a lot of chaos for me mentally, um, just being honest. And it took me a long time. It took me until recently to be able to actually identify and verbalize what the issue is that creates all of that chaos and how weight loss got to the top of the list. And it really is because I have always associated being fat with struggle and loss being fat and or fatness has taken away a b and c from me so the idea of happiness or contentment has been several slick magic tricks in my life you know it's a futile attempt of misdirection you know sure on paper on paper you know on paper you know i'm taking my history into account i'm doing well i'm a statistic turned on his head right yet i struggled with being content because i am always in my head always in my head stay out of there you know just just stay out of there you'll be okay but because I'm in my head, because I've had, I have always been there. I have not been counting my wins as wins because they seem so small in relation to my goals, to that baseline experience, right? And I had not been able to appreciate my right nows. Because my right nows had been, up until this point, feeling like substituted choreography. Like that artist that's never satisfied just takes over. And if I'm truly going to commit to this journey of being better for myself and for the world around me, I have to look at this i can't overlook the fact that with the push to become thank you first lady michelle obama forever first lady with a push to become comes the responsibility to challenge 
all of my undesirable behaviors. And that includes reconditioning those thought patterns. Now, that's my issue. What about you? What is creating chaos in your life? Standing between you and contentment on your journey to being better. Because I can all but guarantee if you are able to identify and verbalize it, like actually confront the issue, you'll be able to find peace, you know, and you'll be able to explore your gifts and your talents and reach your potential in a different way than you are right now. Um, you'll have your baseline moment, you know, it'll, it'll happen for you. Until next time, I'm going to leave you with words to apply to the artists, creative minds out there. From the great dance legend herself, Martha Graham. There is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. And it is not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work, but you have to keep yourself open and aware of the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. Again, no artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction whatsoever at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. Also, nobody cares if you can't dance well, just get up and dance. Great dancers are great because of their passion. If you've enjoyed this episode of Being Better with Dorcas Dorsell, please subscribe, comment, share, and review. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Being Better with Dorcas Dorsell. You can share with me at beingbetterpodcast.com or on Facebook or Instagram at beingbetterpod. You can also follow me, your host, Dorcas Dorsell, on Instagram or Twitter at Dosha Luna. That's D-O-C-I-A-L-U-N.
N-A. Again, that's D-O-C-I-A-L-U-N-A. Dosha Luna. I promise I'll explain it to you later. If you want to add to the show, leave me a message at anchor.fm forward slash being better with D forward slash message. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash being better with D forward slash message. I cannot wait to hear from you. I want to hear all of your suggestions. You can ask me questions. I will try to provide you with answers and we will just continue on this journey together. Until next time, peace.